Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. I've avoided saying your last name the whole time. Varughese. Not bad? And uh, if you were at the conference, you know the kind of ministry uh, and anointing that he carries. And so this morning, um, you know, if you've come for a man, you, you'll be disappointed. But if you've come for a word, God will meet and exceed your expectation. And I pray this morning with open hands and open hearts, you would receive what God has for us through Pastor Mark. Can we give him a warm Western welcome as he comes to bring the word? Good morning. How are we? Uh, it's been a wonderful privilege and, a, and an always honor to share the Word of God anywhere, but especially when you come for the first time to a brand new country. It's not a new country, it's a new country for me. First time ever in Canada, which, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, been a, it's been a treat. And uh, the heavens have been opened the last 24 hours. The veil has been torn, the skies have been split, and the rain has come down. And uh, we've had, but you know, it was a long, you know, I, I come from Perth, Western Australia, which is where Pastor John's sister resides, the other sister. There's another sister who just, I think, <laughs> stepped out. And, um, and Perth is about as far from Toronto as you can get. And uh, as far north you are, we're south. As far east you are, we're west. And, and literally, it is the other end of the planet. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, it's been such a joy and an honor to be with uh, all of you who are at the conference, uh, Salt and Light. And uh, that's, that was so, so good. Um, and, uh, but yet, if this is your first time uh, that, that, you know, obviously we've got to meet, um, and you're still trying to piece my skin color, accent, upbringing, and context. I don't blame you, but let me put you out of your misery. Uh, I was born in Singapore. Say hi for me. Uh, I grew up in Malaysia. I am of Indian descent, but I've been an Australian citizen for the last 30 years. So I grew up with major identity crisis. I was too Aussie to be Asian and too Asian to be Aussie. So I related to everyone but belonged to no one. And I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but, you know, when you in this global gray world, uh, it's becoming more and more common. So despite my complexities and my identity challenges, just when I thought things couldn't get more complicated, it did. I got married. And not that marriage is the complication, but my wife is born in New Zealand. She's half Aussie. She grew up in the Philippines, and she sounds like an, an American. Uh, and so she, too, had her own tensions. She's white on the outside, but she's Asian in her upbringing. I'm Asian on the outside, but white in my upbringing. And so we were equally dysfunctional. And so you may ask, what happens when two equally disoriented individuals get married. We produce two sons. Don't ask me where they're from or what they are. They're children of the Most High God. Uh, and, uh, and we have two sons, Zeke and Caleb, 10 and 7. And uh, they really are wonderful. My wife is, uh, deserves 99.5% of the credit for our marriage because she has 
been not only an amazing wife and an amazing mom, but she literally uh, stands alongside me as the journey of what God has done through Kingdom City has continued to grow and expand. Um, I have no context. I'm not doing now today something that I always dreamed of doing in the sense that I didn't grow up in a ministry family. I grew up in a very conservative, orthodox background. My mom is Anglican. My dad is an orthodox um, uh, it was an ethnic community that essentially, uh, I, 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 even though I heard about Noah and the ark and Moses and the Red Sea and David and Goliath, I really had no awareness that even though God was obviously real, he seemed far away, distant, removed. And when we migrated to Australia, the pastor got up, a bit like Pastor John, and look, I firstly, I just want to honor these guys and thank, their, thank God for them because their soft heart, their tenderness before God, and you're very blessed to have such a wonderful couple and a wonderful pastor. Can we honor them today? <laughs> pastor John and I, we've really got to know each other over this trip, and uh, we're, we're pretty similar, apart from the hair, the glasses, the skin color, and the weight. Apart from that, we're pretty much twins. Um, but, but, but in growing up, I was more scared of God than drawn by God. And really, I just didn't want to go to hell. Probably that was the sum total of my motivation for even being at church, apart from the fact I had no choice. And we moved to Australia, Perth, Western Australia, and we didn't go to a traditional church. We went to this basketball court. Well, I thought it was a basketball court, but apparently it's church. They hired it out and put chairs out and sang songs and everyone looked happy and I'm like what's wrong with these people because to me church was a place of soberness seriousness and yet what was underlying the difference was this pastor talked about God like he knew him and I couldn't work it out I'm like you could you, you know God like how I just thought he's distant and sovereign. I didn't realize he was intimate and involved and he actually cared about the details of all of our lives. I didn't know it was a relationship to pursue and a relationship that he wanted to pursue. I had no understanding about a torn veil or I didn't know understand about any of that. And so, but it set off a journey in me to know God. And I didn't know how to know him, but the fact that he was knowable was enough to get me on this journey of curiosity. And literally what I'm doing today uh, nobody in my family on either side, in fact, all my relatives are doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, all professionals. And when I said I wanted to quit law, I studied law and commerce and I worked as a lawyer for five years. And when I said I'm quitting law to serve in a local church, my family were confused. Like, why would you do that? Uh, you can be a Christian and still, you know, make a lot of money. Do you want to be poor? Why would you want to give up all of this to go? And I said, I don't know. And seamless, it's been challenged knowing God. And every step of the way has not had its, uh, it hasn't been seamless. It's been challenging and there's been stories behind the entire journey. But honestly, this journey of getting to know God has led one thing to the other. 2006, uh, I, I sort of had enough of working on a church because uh, I didn't realize that, let, let's put it this way, I, even though church was wonderful, being on staff was a whole other thing. It's like you love the restaurant, but nobody wants to work in the kitchen. You don't go to a nice restaurant and go, this is so nice, one day I'd like to work in the kitchen. You just enjoy the restaurant, which is what you all get to do as the, the chef and his wife and Miguel in the honeymoon season of his experience enjoy cooking up meals weekly but it was really my naivety being disarmed and smashed and I'm thinking 
ah, oh, this thing's not for me. I'm going back to law. I'm going to go start a business again. I'm going to do something else. And so on the verge of quitting, I had an encounter with God that till today I define as my burning bush. Uh, and it literally triggered a whole set of circumstances that led to me selling my house in Perth, buying a one-way ticket to an Islamic country without a visa to plant a church. I was 30, I was single, so I didn't need permission, and I literally, genuinely had no idea what I was doing, but I knew God was in it. 13 years later, it's been an amazing journey. We're now in multiple nations and many people are coming to church and uh, there are, it's just been the, the grace of God. And, and it doesn't matter where you're at today, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you've been in church your entire life, whether you've, you're going through a tough season or you're flourishing or you're struggling, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that there's a God who wants to know you. There's a God who you can know. And really for a few moments, I would love to actually look at one scripture in Philippians chapter 3 that hopefully becomes a bit of an alignment, an alignment passage for your life no matter what you are going through today maybe a friend invited you maybe you just thought let's go hear some random guy speak and whatever brought you into the room we're grateful you're here and uh, there couldn't be a more friendly good-looking bunch of people in Toronto uh, not that I've been to many other parts but that's just what I'd assume um, you know my first car was a Hyundai XL I don't know whether you have that here do you have that car I don't know what you'd call it here. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching. Anyway, it's a little car. wasn't that uh, flash, but it tended to have a mind of its own. And every six to eight months, it would have a wheel alignment problem. And it would just sort of veer off by itself. Even when the steering wheel was pointing straight, it would veer off. And then I'd go to a mechanic. He would, give, he would wheel align the car, and then it was back to normal for six or seven months and then after six or seven months it would start to veer off it's every nine months or so i needed to take it for servicing to get the wheel alignment sorted out so that the, where i was intending to head was the direction i actually headed on now every now and then you go through a passage in the bible and it has the same effect it's like this alignment because on the journey of following god and the journey of trying to navigate life and the journey of trying to do this thing called faith every now and then where we set our course is one thing but before long, just life can start to veer us off and we can start to miss the mark. And one degree off is no big deal, but one degree off 25 years down the track could be a long way off. And so I have found this passage to be incredibly aligning for me in Philippians chapter 3. In fact, it gives us some insight into Paul. And if you don't know the context, I don't really have the time to give it to you, but it gives us insight into his journey, his desires, his focus, his value system. And it's Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 7. And here's what it says. I think it's on the screen. It says, but what things, this is Paul writing, what things were gained to me? Money, stuff, life, fame whatever. These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That word knowledge, just pause for a second, that word knowledge is not intellectual awareness, it's a relational knowing. It's the knowing that I didn't realize God was interested in. I, I didn't know God was a person to know. I, I could study about him, but that didn't mean I knew him. Just like if 
you know, I don't know who your favorite sports star or celebrity is. You might know everything about their life, but when you cross them in a road, if they don't know you, you might know about them, but you don't know them. And Paul is describing that knowledge, which is a relational knowing. And he said, everything I've garnered and gained through life is nothing compared to the personal ability for me to actually know Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Again, you hear his heart here, that I may know him. You can hear a thirst in a guy, in an apostle, in a writer who's saying, listen, everything else is wonderful, but here's really what I want to do. I want to know God. I want to know him. I want to know his heart. I want to know his ways, the power of his resurrection, and even the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Then he says, not that I've already attained, already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Someone say goal. Come on, everyone say goal. Goal for the, the, you said that in a really Aussie accent. That's really nice. Uh, For the prize, say prize. I press toward the goal. This is what Paul's saying. As a result of my thirst to know God and the fact that everything else in life really is secondary, I count as loss. My one thing is I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to talk for a few minutes on the goal and the prize. Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize. I don't know how many of you play sport here, but I don't know what code of, I know you play hockey, right? Let's go with hockey. And say the NHL Cup is the Stanley Cup. See, this is my awareness of sports. The Stanley Cup is waiting on the side. And I, do you have penalty shootouts here? Is that, I know in soccer you do, but do you have that in hockey? Right. Uh, but you, you, the, the, whoever it is, is aiming the puck, or if in soccer they're kicking the ball, They want the cup, but they don't kick toward the cup. They kick toward the goal for the prize. They want the prize, but they don't aim at the prize. There are many people who would say, well, that's very obvious when it comes to sport, but it's not so obvious when it comes to life. Because we can't tell what the goal is and what the prizes are, and we're not sure which one we should be aiming for. Usain Bolt, who's the fastest man on, in, the, in the world, he's running towards the finishing line and he sees the dice where they get to stand. That nice little altar baptismal place there. That's where he wants to be. And he doesn't look at it and then he doesn't stop and he goes. He doesn't do that. Now, he wants to end up here. But to get here, he has to keep running towards the goal. The goal is the finishing line. The goal is whatever the goal is. And in this context, Paul says, I keep one thing. I keep pressing toward the goal because it's ludicrous in sport to press toward the prize. But in life, so often we press towards the prizes. And the problem is if you kick the ball towards the prize, you'll miss the goal, which means you miss the prize. 
And Paul says, there is a difference between the goal and the prize. The question is, what's the goal? The goal is very clear. It's everything we've been talking about. To know Christ. The goal is to know Christ. And you're like, and then what? See, every other goal is a sub-goal under the main goal. Because one day, whether you like it or not, we will all stand before Almighty God and thank God for Jesus. Thank God for His blood. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His goodness. Without which we would be nothing. We would be nowhere. We would have... And yet, and yet that, that, this is not just about do we make it. This is a high-achieving man saying everything that I've done in life is wonderful, but really it's nothing compared to the goal, the goal of knowing Christ. In the middle of all that is happening in our world, you know, maybe in your world, there's a temptation after a while to start chasing the prizes of life instead of focusing on the goal, which is to know Christ. Because to know God comes with a whole vein of prizes. It comes with favor and blessing and increase and peace and joy and, and all sorts of stuff healing and and all the good things that come from God and yet if we're not careful we can start lusting after the prizes and we're not sure which one we're aiming at and a passage like this is a beautiful way like my Hyundai of wheel aligning my heart going thank you Jesus it's about you it's all about you I just want to know you and the prizes that come, so be it, God. But let me aim toward the goal, knowing that the prizes will come. Let life not slowly veer me a little and I start aiming towards the prizes. And then realize at the end of it, I missed the goal. So I really want to give you, here's what I want to do, ready? I want to give you three prizes that God wants you to have, but they're not the goal. Three prizes that God wants you to have. In fact, these are good things. My three points aren't hate, greed, and murder. These are good things that God actually wants for you. They're prizes, but they're never to be where we're aiming at. We're meant to aim at the goal, and if we hit the goal, we win the prize. Number one, recognition. Recognition. Look at the neighbor that you prefer. I don't mind, that might be a little awkward because you've got two neighbors. Uh, and just, just, just tell them, I recognize you. And now if you're married to them, I hope so. But you know what? Recognition is a basic human need. The scripture says we're to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God actually is not ashamed. We're not meant to be some lowly, worm-like creature. Oh, I'm just a Christian and I'm in a corner and nobody knows me. The recognition is not a bad thing. We should celebrate when God elevates people and when God promotes people. We shouldn't be competitive or jealous or insecure or inferior. We should celebrate when God puts people of prominence or people of faith into places of prominence. Our church, when we started, uh, one of of our young girls who just became part of our new Christians team. God elevated her today. She's in politics and she's one of the leading figures that's shaping the nation of Malaysia. There, there we in, in Perth, we've hosted politicians and, and celebrity, all that stuff that comes with it. It's wonderful. We should knock that. But recognition is not the goal of life. It is a prize that may come when God highlights you. He highlights your business. He highlights your marriage. He highlights the season you're in. And you suddenly recognition happens. And recognition is a good thing. Recognition is a wonderful thing. This is not an evil thing, but it's never meant to be the goal. Ever. It's a prize. Jesus had recognition. Oh my gosh, he had recognition. Before Facebook, he had friends. 
before Instagram, he had followers. And he was, he, he couldn't go play. I mean, he needed security. And yet he knew that recognition, despite the fact it was there, was not the goal of his life. It was not the goal. In fact, if recognition was his goal, when they said, we want to make you king, he would have gone, finally. Yes, you're correct. Yes, go ahead. Finally, you recognize who I am. You know, so many miracles Jesus did, he said, don't tell anyone. It definitely wasn't from my church. Any sign of a miracle, we're like, you put that on social media and you hashtag Kingdom City. <laughs> hashtag miracle worker, way maker, that is who you are. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with recognition. We should celebrate everything God does. But recognition is a prize. Because recognition will come and recognition will go. But if you make recognition the goal, you may end up missing the very goal. Do you know... Um, this is an embarrassing story to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Many years ago, this is probably, actually 1999, that's 20 years ago, um, the church I grew up in, I was the keyboard player, and every year we did a Carols by Candlelight, which is this big extravaganza musical thing. And really what happened is, uh, you know, thousands of people would gather, and, you know, I, I, was, I was working as a lawyer, but as a volunteer keyboardist, and, and really, I love music, and I love arrangements, and I love Christmas carols. I don't know if anybody here likes Christmas carols. And, and we loved hymns, and I loved all that stuff. And, and you know, what, what happened was, once a year, we put on this gala event, and, and the, the worship pastor, the person in charge of the music, was taking a break from ministry for about six months, so the pastor asked me, can you please organize this whole extravaganza from a musical point? I said, sure, it'd be in my honor. So I did, and you know, I was still working a full-time job as a lawyer, but literally we'd come out two or three nights a week for about three to four months leading up to Christmas, and I'd do the arrangements, I'd teach the bass player, I'd teach the harmonies, we'd work it all out, and it really was this joy of serving God, because you know, that's why we all do what we do. That's why we honored everyone who served at conference. That's why everybody who makes this church happen is to be celebrated because at the end of the day, we can't do this without each one of us picking up the load and doing some part. We're not just consumers of the vision, we're carriers of the vision. You're either carried by the vision or you're a carrier of the vision. We need to be people who contribute to this house, not just the people who take from this house. And this is the heart of God, that we would all be functional parts of the body of Christ. And not everybody can do everything, but everybody can do something and really the joy of serving God was all mine and I really was thrilled that I had the privilege to play a part in putting this thing together and the week before the actual event after three four months of practices the pastor said listen the worship pastor is coming back now and uh, can you just catch him up with all the developments and how you're planning the night and, uh, and just tell him how it's going to go because he's going to be the main worship leader. I said, sure, not a problem. And so I gave him the whole rundown of how we did it and what we're doing. And he was grateful that, you know, I carried the load in his absence. And then on the night, we came out, there were thousands of people and there was choir, our choir dressed in robes and we had fireworks and it was an incredible night. Everybody played their part. It was a stunning night. Everybody did a real good job. I'm sitting there on the keys on the corner going, wow, God, amazing to see thousands of people worshiping you. It was a wonderful night until the vote of thanks. The pastor got up and he said, um, uh, how many people enjoy, you know, thanked a whole bunch of people. Then he said, how many people enjoyed the music tonight? And, you know, thousands of people, going, yeah, amazing. And they said, well, one man has put it together. And at that moment, 
I went into what they call the humble pose. The humble pose is one where you simply just look down or you look up. You fiddle with the hem of your garment if you're, and you just go, and you know, all the choir turned to me, all the musicians turned to me. I'm like, and he goes, one man has put in hours and hours for months leading up. Dad, I give a huge run. And, you know, he said, ladies and gentlemen, please give a big hand. Then he said the wrong name. And he thanked the guy who'd done nothing for three to four months, who just turned up the week before. And it was so obviously wrong. But now 5,000 people are cheering for the wrong guy. He's standing there looking awkward because he knows he's done nothing. He definitely, I'm over this. I'm just telling you the story. Uh, he, 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 he's like, and everyone's like, oh. and now I'm in a conundrum because now I can't look mad because if you look mad, you look like you got pride. So you just smile and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to kill you later. But you know, yeah, whatever. You did nothing, you lazy. You know, it's like, it's like, the, it's like the people who get the, the credit, they do nothing. And you know, it's like, yeah, wow, yeah, wow. And you know, I, it was this weird non-event. But for me, it took me about a day and a half. And I was like, and, and the worst part, I couldn't tell anyone because then they're like, what's wrong with you? I just had to suck it up. And you know what? Here's what's interesting. You know, after about a day and a half, I felt the Lord say to me, are you done yet? Have you had enough? You, with your self-pity? Because see, you know, here's all I'm trying to say. My reaction in that moment revealed something. That somewhere along the journey, that recognition that was given went from being a little prize that may or may not come with the journey to somewhere being at a goal. And God in that moment did a little wheel alignment on my heart and said, that's right remember it was all about Jesus remember it was all about the reason you wanted to do this was for him remember the only reason you wanted to do this to serve him who cares if you get the recognition and my reaction showed me that somewhere along the journey what was a prize became the goal and a passage like this comes along to say that's right it's all loss I count everything but rubbish compared to the joy of just knowing my God whether they thank me they don't thank me whether they praise me or they curse me whether they bless me or they clap for me or they hate me I still want the goal of knowing Christ thank you for recognition when it comes but it's a prize it's not the goal you know it's a strange thing now our church is growing all these 12 nations 30,000 people I get credit for a whole bunch of stuff I don't do it's like weird, but you know what? You don't get addicted to it because recognition is never a goal. It's a prize. Maybe, maybe you've been serving faithfully and yet you couldn't make the conference. And yet Pastor John thanked all the people who served the conference, but he didn't thank you every week. And yet it's little things that produce reactions in us that make us go, whoa, what is this reaction telling me? Maybe it's wheel alignment time. And it's like, oh thank you Jesus that's right it was all about you it's all about you it's all about whatever you want do you know when we when I went to plant the church in KL there was no recognition nobody cared and yet if you set out going after God because you're hoping he's going to increase your Instagram followers or you're hoping he's going to increase your profile or you're hoping he may well do that because he's a good God and every now and then he may highlight your life highlight your business highlight your marriage highlight your church highlight something but easy come easy go recognition will come recognition will go it, and then we can have peace whether it's there or whether it's missing because at the end of the day it's just a prize it's not the goal the second thing that is a prize that God wants for us, but it's not the goal, is results. Results. See, this is the God who says, if the tree doesn't bear fruit, 
cut it out. This is a God who speaks about parables of masters and servants and stewardship. And he talks about how that if you don't multiply your talents, he'll take it away from you. This is a God who insists that we multiply what he's given us, that we're faithful, that we work hard, that we do something with what God's given us. And all the results that he wants to, in fact, you get prophecies about God wants to bless your business and bless your endeavors and bless your children. And, and the whole idea that he wants to add to my life and your life is not a foreign concept because that's who he is. He's a good God. He's a God who wants to provide. His idea of favor is not that you are stripped bare, naked, destitute, and broke. His idea is blessing. His idea is increase. His idea is grace. He doesn't just want to give you recognition. He wants to give you results, but results are not the goal of life. They're just another prize. Jesus had results. He cast out demons, he healed the sick, he did more. The Bible says if everything that he did were written, the books of the world couldn't contain what he did in three small years because that was a lot of results. I mean, you talk about results, Jesus had more results than almost any ministry combined. He said, greater works than these will you do. But this was a life filled with results. And yet, and yet he knew that results were not the goal of his life. It was a prize. If results were the goal of his ministry, he wouldn't have preached the Dracula sermon. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, that whole thing. Because it wasn't a high seller. You don't bring that sort of message to conference and expect to be invited back. Because, you know, it's not really going to go down so well to the new people who just came to give the Christian thing a chance. And the guy gets up and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. They're like, gross, this is disgusting. And a whole bunch of people left. And Jesus didn't stop and go, guys, it's just an analogy. It's a metaphor. I'm just explaining something. No, but he just goes, okay. You know, what a secure... (laughs) I mean, I don't, I can't, who, who would question God? But, but the point simply was, if results were the goal, he wouldn't have formed a whip of cords and gone, listen, this, this, this thing's starting to veer into all sorts of wrong things. And he would have gone, no, but at least they're here. Let's leave them and let's give them Tim Tams or cookies or something. And maybe let's take them on a journey. And I believe in all of that. And yet that just simply proves that results were not the goal of his life. It was a product that came. Do you know goal, the results in you might be struggling right now, you might be flourishing right now. If you're struggling, be comforted that that does not define who you are. And if you're flourishing, be aware that that does not define who you are. Of course God wants us all to flourish, but results are not the goal of life. Even though God wants to multiply everything in your hand, it's a prize that comes with knowing God. God and as you know God he wants to give you recognition and he wants to give you results but they are simply the prizes of life they're not the goal of life I remember having a pretty traumatic week in 2000 and we've had a lot of traumatic weeks but I'm in this one unusually in the same week my girlfriend broke up with me I contracted hepatitis A which is just this viral thing that allows you to be isolated and you can't really you know see people and at the same time the same week I got made redundant in my first law firm and so really that's a bad week I mean come on I'm sure people have had worse weeks if you've suffered loss or tragedy that's nothing but for me it was a big deal at the time because when you lose your job lose your girlfriend and get sick in quarantine that's a pretty bad week because normally if you just lose your job you go hang out with your girlfriend but she just broke up with you if you just lose your girlfriend you go throw yourself into your work but you just lost your job if you lose your job and your girlfriend you go hang out with your mates but now I've got a quarantine sickness and I can't see anybody so I was feeling sorry for myself going really this is what I get for serving you and you know I had my little self-pity I was like I was like you done 
really? Having a bad week? So you're going to leave the church? Leave me? Every time we go through something like that, it just reveals, why did we sign up for this again? Why did, why did we say yes to God again? Was it that, and, and you know, I never started out going, God, I want recognition. God, I want results. I started out saying, God, I want you. I want to know you. And then somewhere along the journey, like my Hyundai, and then you read this passage that Paul says, one thing, one thing, one thing, I press toward the thought process. Maybe, and maybe you're here today and results or recognition has dominated your thought process. Maybe you're feeling unnecessarily good or bad over the lack of or abundance of recognition or results. And yet, this is the good news. It's not that God's not interested in all of that, but you know, it can even creep into ministry. I remember <laughs> I'm, I, a few years later, I'd moved on from the piano story. I'd matured a little bit, I think. And you know, uh, we're doing a ministry. Uh, I'm now on staff. I'm like the third in line preacher. I was just new to preaching. I was still a bit of a rookie. I didn't really know what I was doing. But the pastor, my senior pastor at the time was very encouraging. He said, you know, Mark, I noticed something. Whenever you preach, people get saved. They always want to come to Christ. You know, more than even me or more than, he was just trying to encourage me. And, you know, I did the humble pose. I just fiddled with the hem of my garment, just looked up, and I just sort of, no, it's all about him. You know, um, but, you know, it's the strangest thing happened. The next time I preached, nobody gave their life to God. And I thought, okay, well, even Billy Graham would have had a bad day every now and then, so don't get too discouraged. Next time after that, no one responded to God. I'm thinking, he's cursed me. My pastor has put a hex on me. He was just celebrating how incredible I am. And now two times in a row, straight after that, no one's getting saved. The third time, no one got saved. I'm like, it's official. I'm Ichabod. And the glory has departed from my life. Thank you, sir. That's, I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and I remember going, something is chronically wrong. So the next time I preached, I said, I know what it is. I've got to pray and fast. So I prayed and I fasted and I got everybody ready. When they asked me to preach the message, I don't think I even had any content. I couldn't let any Bible verses get in the way of my altar call. Someone was going to get saved that morning. And so I just got into, I had the keyboarders up the whole time. I had the lights dim and I just went for it. And I gave the longest altar call you've ever heard in your life. And I said, if you, and, and nobody responded. And I said, no, church, you're not understanding what I'm saying. If you've even had a bad thought in the last month, I want you to lift your hand. Nobody even raised a finger. And you know, I'm like, this is officially over. My ministry is officially dead. Not even one person has responded from the minute he encouraged me. It's all gone downhill. And as I handed the mic back to the pastor and I'm standing in the front row pretending to worship, I wasn't worshiping. I was just pretending because they're singing a song and I'm like, God, you've left me. This is officially over. Uh, and no one's getting saved again. And, and you know, I heard the voice of the Lord and he said something to me that I'll never forget till the day I die. He said, son, if no one else ever got saved, under your ministry, would you still serve me? My God, is that a trick question? I thought you wanted people saved. But you know, it was the most disarming moment I'd had with God because God was like saying, are you only doing this for the results? I thought you were doing this for me. Of course God wants the whole world saved. Of course he wants, if you don't know Christ, he wants, you to, he wants to know you. But somewhere along the line, knowing God went from my goal and all of a sudden it was about the numbers 
was about the results. And maybe you're not a pastor, but you're a business person and you're feeling good or bad based on how other people are doing. Or you're feeling good or bad based on how the person next to you is doing. And I want to encourage you that as much as God has a plan for your life, the greatest joy and the one thing and the goal of life is just to know him. You know, Moses got to the point where this man was all about deliverance taking people on a journey. Going, he grew up a bit confused like me, too Egyptian to be Hebrew, but too Hebrew to remain an Egyptian. And, and really it was the dysfunction that was the divine preparation for the journey of what God had for his life, which was to be a deliverer, to take people from Egypt, march into the courts of Pharaoh and walk them out into the promised land. Uh, uh, Jemima and I now understand that what we thought was dysfunction was divine preparation. Now we can run a cross-cultural global church because we can relate to everyone even though we belong nowhere. And really Moses had this conundrum going on in his life and he would have had all the prophecies pointing to the fact that his whole destiny was to take a nation into the promised land and he gets to the point in Exodus where he says Father if you don't go with me I'm not going anywhere because this journey was not about the destination, this journey was not about my prophecy this journey was about knowing you and if you're not with me I'm not going I'd rather die in the desert with you than be in a promised place without you. Why? Because results he knew was not the goal it was just the prize, it would come with it but at the end of the day God does not want to be studied, he wants to be known God does not want to be used he wants to be known, he will use you and he's fine with you studying him but he wants to be known and that's why I think Matthew 7.21 might be the scariest verse in the Bible he says in that day many will say to me Lord, Lord, did we not did we not and then list out a whole bunch of prizes results didn't we cast out demons? Look at all the things we did. Didn't we serve in common? And Jesus would say, I'm so sorry. I don't know you. They've listed a whole bunch of prizes. Did we not? Here's all my results. And Jesus' response was, wonderful prize. You missed the goal. I don't know you. The goal was to know me, to know Christ. Out of this intimacy, may a whole lot of favor, blessing, and increase come to your life. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to have increase. But it's not the goal. It's a prize. And finally, finally, lastly, relationships. Relationships? What? Before there was sin, God said, it's not good that man be alone. I have more sermons that preach against isolation and the dangers of not being in community than almost any other subject apart from the presence of God. Because I believe that without a community, without a family, without connectivity, without the joy of actually doing life with people, we will shrivel up, we will die up, and we're a target for the enemy. I preach powerfully against any form of enemy diversion that would seek to isolate you or to segregate you because God wants us to have relationships. The richest part of my world apart from God are the relationships. Not just my wife and my sons but even my friends in ministry and life and the people I get to do church with and all the, the journey of all the people that God has enriched my life with. The relationships are valuable, they're vital, they're priceless, they're beautiful but they are a prize. They are not the goal. When I was single, I thought the goal was to get married. The goal is to know Christ. The prize is you may or may not get married. Jesus enjoyed relationships, but he knew that it wasn't the goal. That's why when they all left at the Dracula message, he goes, do you guys want to go as well? It's not that he, he loves the world. You know, when I went to Malaysia, it's amazing how everyone said, this won't work. 
what are you doing in this country? If you want to be a pastor of a church at the time I was 30, he says, you need to be married. You need to have gone to Bible college and you need to have, you need to know the language. I was zero out of three. I was a lawyer. And God called me. I'm like, why are you calling me? And they're like, you need to be married. I'm like, Jesus wasn't married. They're like, yeah, that doesn't matter. You're not Jesus. <laughs> and, and really, I became very isolated. And yet, I knew God had called me to go there. And yet, if relationships was the goal, it was ludicrous to leave Perth. Because I had friends. I had family. Everything was set up. What is God asking you to do that may cost you recognition it may cost you results or it may cost you relationships it's not that he wants you barren in those areas he wants you favored highly prospering in all those areas but they just remain a prize they just remain a prize do you know i remember being a single guy i remember i was i got married at 32 that's a whole other story i shared at a conference um I was groomsman slash best man nine times. The first time, it was a great honor. By the fourth time, it was getting expensive. <laughs> By the, about the eighth or ninth time, I remember under my breath cursing everybody who was in the auditorium going. <laughs> and yet it wasn't, uh, I'm like, God, I, this isn't working. And I'm like, you know, and this, and this wasn't just 13 years ago. This was about 13 kilos ago. So I was a good package. I was successful. I'd educated. I was, in all humility, I was, I was pretty awesome. Some of you are like, what? It was, it was just the idea that God was saying, listen, I, don't, I remember sitting in my brother's house once and I was feeling sorry for myself. And I was probably about 28. My younger brother got married. My younger sister got married. And people were like, you know, start mentoring young people. I started mentoring them. They started getting married. Then people started having kids. They made me godfather of their children. I'm like, oh, honestly, nine times groomsmen, breastmen. After a while, I'm like, honestly, what is wrong? And I remember feeling sorry for myself one day in my brother's house. And I said, Father, I can't believe you've left me alone. And, and, and again, I just heard this wheel alignment voice of God. And he said, Son of, of, of all the people, oh, this isn't a doctrine, this is just what the Lord spoke to me. Son of all the people I wanted for myself a little longer, I wanted you. And I went from feeling excluded to feeling special and significant and chosen by God. I don't know what situation you find yourself in this morning. And you might feel alone, you might feel isolated, you might feel like relationships are a barren area of your life. May God give you this community, this family and people around you so you'd never have to walk this life alone. But remember that whether you have a thousand friends or none, they are simply a prize that comes with knowing God. They're simply a prize. I'll close with this. Let's get the, 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 the team back or the keyboardist or whoever wants to come back. Um, I remember this is, this, this is something that happened to me, and I'm just going to share it with you, and then I'm gonna, we're going to pray, and then we're going to close. I remember um, years ago, again, I was a single guy. I was living in my house by myself and uh, in Perth before church, all of this. And um, one night I had a dream. I was fast asleep. And I had this dream, and in this dream, it was a vivid dream. Because in this dream, I heard a knock on the door. 
and I, in my dream, I go to the door and I open the door and I realize it's this demonic presence. Now, I wasn't given to seeing angels or demons, but it was very clear. It was this demonic thing. And I was so scared and I'm thinking, shut the door, Mark, close the door. So I tried to close the door and this thing overwhelmed it. It's as if like in my dream, I had no muscles. I had zero ability to even shut the door. This thing flung the door open and it marched into the house like this presence. And I got so scared in my dream. It was so terrifying. It was so nerve-wracking that I woke up. And as soon as I woke up and I'm wide awake now, 2 a.m. in the morning in my house in Perth alone, and I'm realizing, wow, it's not a dream. Because I'm wide awake and I can feel this eerie, dark presence in my room. And it was so real. I remember physically, I've never had any experience like this before or since. And this thing was literally holding me down and I could not physically get up. And I'm like, what the heck? How did this get into my house? What is this? Where is this from? And I was praying into my breath. It wouldn't leave. Within, after about 10 minutes of struggle, it finally left. It finally left. And I turned the light on because I was scared. I was sweating. And I'm like, God, what is this? What happened? Where did that come from? And I'm thinking... I'm not into witchcraft. I'm not into weird stuff. I don't even watch Harry Potter. I don't know where this thing came from. And I'm like, God, you've got to speak to me. So I opened the Bible and I start journaling. And I'm like, God, you've got to speak to me. And, and, and God spoke to me from the book of Ezekiel. And he says, in, that la- in those days, I'll give them one heart. And, and God spoke to me. Because I remember saying, Lord, why, why couldn't I shut the door? Why couldn't I shut the door? And God began to sp- show me that every time you give your heart to someone or to something. Every time you give your heart to a prize, every time you give your heart to recognition or results or relationships, every time you give your heart to anything or anyone apart from God, you give them a key to your door and they have full access to come in whether you like it or not. That's why when you give your heart to a human, married or not, they can break your heart. If you give your heart to a career, you lose your job, you'll break your heart. You can give your heart to relationships, you can give your heart to a goal and that's why the only goal, Paul said, is to know Christ the safest place your heart is is all of it belonging to God you're like well what about my wife and my kids shouldn't they have my heart as well listen the best husband I'll ever be is when God has my whole heart the best dad I'll ever be is when God has my whole heart the best pastor I'll ever be is when God has my whole heart when you give your heart to anything or anyone apart from God it's not that God is a jealous God in the wrong sense but that night God was saying son I want all of your heart. And that little weird demonic experience was a way of just saying, God, I I don't know where I've given my heart, but I don't want anyone to have access. That's why it dawned on me why he says, love the Lord your God with, with all of your heart. Not just the first portion, not just the part that seems a Sunday part, with all of your heart. And I felt the jealousy of God in the most beautiful way. In the most beautiful way. It's like, son, one day you'll have a wife. She won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have kids. They won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have ministry. It won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you may have money, but that won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. And I felt, I'm like, God, I have none of these things. And God goes, yeah, I just want to make sure that you understand that all of your heart will always belong to me. And yet, have I lived this perfect life since then? No. Like my Hyundai. I've just veered off. And maybe you feel like my Hyundai this morning. And yet this passage comes as wheel alignment just to go. That's right, Jesus, it's all about you. And maybe you've never given your heart to God. Or maybe you once did, but you're feeling the emotional roller coaster of life because the prize of recognition or results or relationships 
are going through some sort of dark valley for you right now. And yet I'm not here to pretend that those things don't matter. I'm just here to say that one thing matters more. And that's what Paul said. All the things that I've done, he had results, he had relationships, and he had recognition. He says, all of it, I make a pile of it and it's nothing. It's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. Just everybody just close your eyes and bow your head for a minute and right across this auditorium, this church from the front to the back, from the left to the right, just without anybody moving around or anybody being distracted in the moment because I believe right now there are people in this room that really need to make a fundamental realignment. You need to, you, you're like me maybe, you, you grew up in a traditional home or, or you know that God is real and you just don't want to, you just want to avoid hell so you, religion brings you here or, or maybe just that you want your kids to be on the right track and it brings you here but the truth is the spiritual pulse that was once beating is now dormant and God today this morning can revive it he's a good God and he's literally torn the veil as we heard to make himself available but what he requires is like my Hyundai just the stillness of surrender you know when my car gets wheel aligned the car doesn't have to stress the car doesn't have to strive the car just sits there with the engine off and the mechanic does the work. Let the Holy Spirit this morning just simply realign you. You don't have to try and do anything crazy. But before I hand back, it would be my honor, my joy, my privilege on this trip, literally halfway across the world. It's been a joy to be here, the conference in here. But maybe this might be the most significant moment of the whole weekend. Because if your life is forever turned around, touched, realigned or changed, who knows what accidents you'll avoid just by the simple realignment of your heart. And maybe you've been around church your entire life or maybe this whole thing's new for you. That's not the question. The question is what Matthew 7 says, Do I know you? Oh, you know the stories. Like me, you know the, the history. You might have even read the book cover to cover. But do you know Jesus? Does he know you? It is not my intent or my heart to embarrass you. Nor is it my heart or intent to do anything. But just invite you right now while every eye is closed and every head is bowed to respond to the simple loving invitation that God would give you. And whether it's a realignment, whether it's a surrender of God for the very first time, or maybe you've done this before, but your heart is soft because you're in the room, but you're realizing that the physical pulse is present, but a spiritual pulse is clearly missing. It would be my joy and my honor, wherever you're at, just right where you're seated. If that's you, can you just slip up your hand and say, you know what, Mark, that's me. Please include me in this prayer. And I'd love to include you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. There's, there's many hands that are going up. There's hands literally all across this auditorium. And you know what? This is a family. We're not here to shame. We're not here to embarrass. We're all nothing apart from the grace of God. We are all nothing apart from the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And to all the wonderful people that many hands were raised, I want to pray a simple corporate prayer, but I want to lead us all in the prayer together. So can we all stand to our feet? Can we all stand to our feet from the front to the back? If you're able to stand, I'd love you to stand. And I want you to pray this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me. Uh, This prayer that we're praying is simply just conversation with God. I remember that, that crazy demonic encounter that night. I remember saying, God, I thought I'm a Christian. I gave you my heart. I didn't realize that All God was showing me that night by allowing that horrible circumstance which I've never had before or since. 
son, just take the keys back from any prizes that got access to your heart and give it back to the one who is the goal. Give it back to the one who is the goal. And I love my wife more than I love any other human, but even she can't have my heart. He said, God says, love me with all your heart. And I love her more and I love her in a more beautiful way when God has my whole heart. My heart belongs to one and one only, and that's the Lord Jesus, my creator, my God, and my king. And yet it does not make you a weirdo or some monk or some disconnected nun. It actually causes you to have his heart because when you, you have his heart and he has your heart, your heart will start to burst with a burden and a desire to make a difference with everybody that God has given you. You know, when he comes and fills your life as he's going to this morning, he will bring his burdens with him. He will bring his joy with him. He'll bring his peace with him you are not going to live some disconnected weird spiritual life you're going to look people in the eye and you're going to be more relevant than you've ever been in your entire life i'm praying that god would bless this church and bless your life with recognition and results and relationships that these prizes hovering over this house would become your reality i'm praying that it would be exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you could ask or think or imagine but it all comes as a prize and it comes after we pray this prayer and it's a prayer of complete surrender. I remember singing that song, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Have your way in me. And for the next month, I think, after that horrible encounter, I sang it before I went to bed. I'm like, God, just checking. You have my whole heart. <laughs> That's right. It all belongs to you. And it wasn't a salvation issue. For me, it was a surrender issue. And right now, I want the whole church to pray. But I know many hands have gone up. And at every church, there's a often a next step. And, and whether it's guest services or pastor will give you some direction i want us to pray repeat these words but mean them in your heart romans 10 says when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart we will be saved some people are like that's too simple don't complicate what jesus died to make simple repeat it with conviction and i want to encourage you if you love god and you're, you know him intimately you say this prayer as well and let the whole church pray with one voice with one heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my whole heart. It belongs to you. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come in today and change me from the inside out. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. And whether I have recognition and whether I have results and whether I have relationships, I have you. Help me to follow you. I believe and declare that I am forgiven, that I am clean, that I am accepted, that I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord an amazing praise. Give the Lord grateful worship. Give the Lord gratitude to his name can you just put your hand on your heart and father i just want to pray right now for every person that responded with sincerity with authenticity and with genuine conviction lord i thank you that every hand that was raised was noted by you by the angels and lord i thank you that everyone written in the lamb's book of life would have the assurance of peace they would know that god you are with them you are for them lord i thank you that each one of us would go on the journey of knowing you and like the apostle paul god we would press toward the goal for the prizes thank you lord that you give the prizes of heaven 
heaven to this house to Toronto to Canada to the young to the old to the marrieds to the singles God you'd give the prizes give them healings give them provision give them favor give them increase give them recognition results and relationships Lord fill this house to overflowing Sit two services three services young people old people every sort of person Lord let, let us reach the hurting and the lost that we won't throw stones at those that are far from you but Lord you would start to draw them into this house Lord I thank you for greater prizes than ever before for Western Pentecostal Church but Father we pray more than all in the middle of all the prizes we would never lose sight of the goal that you would always be the goal you would be the sole goal and you'd be the custodian and keeper of our hearts in Jesus name we pray and everyone said Amen Amen God bless you We thank God for the word today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you surrendered your life to Christ, just one simple step. We ask that you would take the blue connect card in the pew in front of you, that you would just fill it out. And before you leave, hand it in at guest services. If you don't have a Bible or a next step, uh, we want to connect with you there and give you a Bible and put some, some things in your hand to leave. But the most important step if you do all that, that's awesome. The most important step is that you stay connected, that you stay connected. And whether there's another church that's closer to your house uh, or if you have no, no other church, you're welcome here. But stay connected so that you can grow. As a church, if, I want to be explicitly clear. Jesus is the main thing. He's the goal. And we're going we're gonna to stay true to our calling as Christians individually but collectively as a church that Jesus said I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and when you stay connected to the house of God you win you win because Jesus is the one building it and you're a part of the church you're a part of the family thank you so much for listening to the sermon of the week God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.